I have absolutely had clients share with me that, you know, when they've been in relationships where there is both emotional and physical abuse, that the words this person said to them lasted longer than the bruises. And I think that really speaks to just how damaging and poisonous emotional abuse can be. You're listening to CWC Talks, a podcast from the University of Florida Counseling and Wellness Center. In each episode, we discuss mental health topics related to the experience of being a student and share the struggles and joys of taking care of your mental health while in college. Please note, CWC Talks is not a substitute for counseling and may be sensitive for people who have experienced trauma. All guests' views are their own and do not speak for the CWC, the University of Florida, or the mental health profession as a whole. Hi, today I am speaking with Debbie Hatfield. She is a licensed mental health counselor who has a private practice in Gainesville and a lot of experience in the realm of victim advocacy and working with college students. Also on the show is Haley Brown, who also brings with her a wealth of experience. She is a registered mental health counseling intern and a clinical case manager with the CWC. Welcome to you both. Thank you. It's so wonderful to be here. Thank you for having us. I'm excited to be here. So today we're going to talk about emotional abuse. And Debbie, let's start with you. Can you kind of define for us what what emotional abuse looks like? Absolutely. I think emotional abuse is a type of abuse in the power and control dynamic that for a lot of people is difficult to pinpoint. Like you may in your gut know that something does not feel right, possibly because it feels like, okay, well, this person isn't hitting me, but they are doing all of these other things that fall under the category of emotional abuse. And that is still abuse. And so that can look like when someone puts you down, making you feel badly about yourself, calling you names, making you think you're crazy, which is the term that we're becoming more familiar with is gaslighting. Mm -hmm. And we'll talk more about that, but also playing mind games, humiliating you in front of other people or using your emotions to manipulate you, like making you feel guilty, uh, whether it was feeling guilty about hurting the other person potentially, or any other number of things to feel guilty about. So when you say, you know, causing you to feel guilty about something kind of like, it almost sounds like playing on that person's emotions Mm -hmm. and using their empathy and their sensitivity against them. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Yes. And, and it can also look in terms of blame, like blaming you for things that really are not your responsibility. Kind of like, well, I wouldn't have done this if you hadn't have done that. You got it. Read my mind. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Okay. Exactly. Okay. I wouldn't have gone out with my friends and not called you if you hadn't have been upset about it or mm-hmm. if you weren't so jealous. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if you had answered my 5,000 phone calls earlier in the day. Right. And I'm wondering if lying, like consistent lying in a relationship, if that could be considered emotional abuse too. 
Absolutely. In fact, that is the one of the first pieces of gaslighting that we will talk about. So part of the emotional abuse umbrella that in, it does include when somebody makes you doubt yourself. Mm. And so the more um, specific definition I will read, it says it is a form of psychological manipulation in which a person or a group covertly sows seeds of doubt in a targeted individual or group, making them question their own memory, perception, or judgment. And lying absolutely falls under that category. And so that can sound like your partner agrees to go on a double date with another couple. And when the night arrives, you ask if they're looking forward to the evening and they say, I told you I hate double dating. Why don't you listen? Mm. Right. Mm-hmm. So that's just one example. It, it can it can be you see you walk into a room and you see that they've broken something and they say to you, I wish you wouldn't break our best things. <laughs> right. Right. So blatant lying. Right. To make you doubt your own memory. Right. Right. And to doubt your trust in yourself too. Mm-hmm. And your trust mm-hmm. in them. Mm-hmm. Because if one partner is consistently lying, it it's really difficult to build trust with them. And trust is one of the most important things in a relationship. Without a doubt. Mm-hmm. I think it also has such a huge impact on that person's self-confidence in other relationships. And so within that emotional abuse comes that isolation from friends or family and just that impact on self-confidence. Yeah. So the, the abuser in the relationship may say things like, well, you know, I don't really like hanging out with that friend of yours. Why don't we do something different? You know, I know we were supposed to go to so-and-so's party, but I'm not really comfortable in that setting. Let's go do something different. And while every now and then, that's understandable if it truly is like a a discomfort type of thing or if they really don't get along. But if it continues to happen consistently and if you haven't seen your friends or your family in a significant period of time because of your partner because of your partner's discomfort or mistrust or whatever the case is, then that would be like a red flag. Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely. A red flag isolation, right? So one method of someone who we would identify as being abusive would be to isolate you from your family and friends. That's one way that they continue to have power and control. Mm -hmm. And they probably would do that by possibly bad-mouthing your family. Mm -hmm. Could they also pick fights with family members too as a way of kind of having their partner side with them versus side with their family? I think that that's a deeper level of emotional abuse and that like, I'm going to almost probably gaslight you into believing what I'm saying and choosing me over your family. So then there's that, that gap in that relationship and I can further isolate you. And it's a form of emotional manipulation too. For sure. 
Yeah. I think the, the victim is often left feeling like, well, maybe they're right about my family and maybe I shouldn't spend, or my friends, and maybe I shouldn't spend this much time with them. Maybe they are a bad influence. And it really goes back to that doubt and, you know, that just self-confidence of, well, maybe they are right. And maybe I should believe my partner who is lying or gaslighting me about these things, but maybe I should trust them and believe them. And I think where it can get extra complicated is when maybe somebody comes from an abusive family. And so the partner that we're identifying as the abusive partner in the relationship or the manipulative partner in the relationship may not be wrong in that situation, right? Yes, your family can also be abusive, but it's we're looking at what is the pattern, right? So Mm -hmm. is the pattern to isolate you from everyone so that the only person you have to rely on is them? Mm -hmm. So that brings up a good question that we got from one of our students recently, which is, how can I prevent becoming emotionally dependent on my partner or too emotionally dependent? And I would imagine that that's kind of a fine line because you want to be able to have a nurturing, trusting relationship. You want to be able to depend on your partner for, you know, your emotional needs. But I guess where the sticking point would be is you don't want to solely be emotionally dependent on that person. Yes, the word solely feels very important in this mm-hmm. description. Yeah. I think that kind of highlights the importance of having a therapeutic relationship where you have that third party, like not on either side, just to kind of hear where you're coming from and hear your partner's perspective and kind of keep you grounded within that. Like, am I being solely dependent on my partner? Are they manipulating me in this way? And then how can I cope with those things or make sure that I'm healthy? And Debbie, you you mentioned earlier about if you're coming from an abusive family, and yes, your partner could be right about that. And it also brings up the point that let's say you're coming from, you suffered physical abuse in your childhood, and now you're with an emotionally abusive partner. There could also be a tendency to minimize that emotional abuse. Well, at least he's not hitting me, or at least she's not slapping me. You know, um, yeah, I can, you know, I can deal with words. You know, kind of minimizing it like, well, it's not as bad as. Right. That's a very common pattern. Mm-hmm. And in a situation like that, it's really important to check in with yourself because when we come from, an abusive home, and I'm kind of going back to what we were talking about too, about trust, the impact that all of this has on how we feel about ourselves, that self-worth, innate self-worth and what we deserve, how we deserve to be treated by our partners, by our friends, by our family, that can be where we need to start with that, to really see that the emotional abuse can be just as damaging. I have absolutely had clients share with me that, you know, when they've been in relationships where there is both 
emotional and physical abuse that the words this person said to them lasted longer than the bruises. Mm. And I think that really speaks to just how damaging and poisonous emotional abuse can be. That's powerful. Yeah, I think that that's so true and so important to highlight is that while you might second guess yourself, is this emotional abuse? Like there's nothing physically that they can see my friends. Like they, they don't see any bruises on me. They don't know what I'm going through. Should I tell them? Should I not? But the words last so long and impact your, your functioning for such a long period of time that it's so important to have those safe friends that you can say, this is what's happening in my life right now. And I need some support and some feedback. And if that's a safe friend, a safe family member or a therapist, wherever that might be, I think it's so important to have that. Are there other places that someone can go? Like, let's say if they don't feel comfortable talking to a, um, a friend or a family member, or if they don't necessarily maybe have the money you know, one thing we haven't touched on yet is financial abuse and what mm-hmm. that could look like too. And they don't want to ask their partner for money to go see a therapist or anything like that. Are there any other places that they could go where it would be confidential that they could talk to someone about this? For sure. So if they're a student, they can come here to the Counseling and Wellness Center and we have a healthy relationships workshop. Typically there's four sessions that kind of cycle through different different topics. But in the community, there is um, Peaceful Paths, which is the domestic violence shelter, but they have individual counseling, they have group counseling, they have advocates that can help support the person in whatever way that they need. There's the 24-7 uh, national domestic violence hotline that you can call and kind of talk through and just be like, is this is this a red flag? What What am I dealing with and how can I move through this? Things like that. But yeah, there are options here locally and I would start, you know, on campus if there's student or peaceful paths, if they're not. And we'll put all the links, you know, in, in the show notes too. And I I think it's interesting because when you say domestic violence hotline, I automatically go to physical violence, but that's not necessarily the case. You know, people who are being hurt with words can can be helped by these resources too. Yeah, for sure. So they can call and, you know, I think in the power and control wheel, the emotional abuse is part of it, but the more of the, uh, the emotional abuse that we see, the more it escalates toward physical violence. And so if you're able to reach out for that support while experiencing that emotional or financial abuse, like you mentioned, maybe before it becomes physical, then you can have the empowered feeling to make choices and, you know, kind of make a plan moving forward. How would someone know if the relationship is going from emotionally abusive to physically abusive? I I would imagine that wouldn't just happen overnight. Yes, it doesn't (laughs) usually happen just overnight. And and often there is the honeymoon period of a relationship, right? Someone can kind of woo you and hide these parts of their behavior um, for some time. 
right? So months, maybe even. I mean, I, I read somewhere that it was even two years, that, that, that the two-year mark can be where someone gets to where they can no longer keep up the facade. Mm-hmm. And that's when you start to see. But at that point, right, you are in. It is mm-hmm. very hard to be like, oh, this is no longer the person that I thought I knew. Mm-hmm. And so often it's before two years, but two years was kind of identified as the, they, they're not going to be able to hold it in any longer. That would be the breaking point. So often it's more like maybe a month, two months, but things before then have been so good. And it will usually start small. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it could even be violence that's not directed at you, right? So punching a wall, breaking things. It's like, you know, if if that person were to be asked, it would be like, I didn't hit you. I was just really upset. And and so I broke a plate, but I, I would never do that to you. Yeah. But these are all signs, right? These are all escalating behaviors. Mm-hmm. So something to definitely keep an eye out for because subconsciously what someone is telling you when they punch a wall near you is this could be you. Mm-hmm. That's the message that it sends. I know that that's the message that I would receive, you know, if that were to happen, you know, just witnessing somebody be so out of control with their anger. And, you know, I mean, let's face it, every couple fights, every couple gets into an argument, but not, not every couple has it culminate in punching a wall in Mm -hmm. calling you a name, you Mm -hmm. know, in, you know, breaking something. Right. Exactly. And I'm thinking about what you said about that two year piece, because it, it makes me reflect back on someone that I knew who had started out this relationship and it was, there was honeymoon and it was romantic and exciting and wonderful. And they got along great. And then little by little, the person, her partner started hiding money from her, mm-hmm. wouldn't tell her about, you know, going out with friends, you know, oh, well, where were you? Oh, I was just hanging out with so-and-so, you know, don't worry, don't be so jealous, you know, kind of minimizing her reactions and then started, you know, then little by little, this person started realizing different things that, he had another family somewhere. <laughs> I mean, these are extreme mm-hmm. examples. You know, he had lost his job. You know, he had a criminal history. You know, so all of that stuff. And I don't mean to scare, you know, our listeners, you know, like don't get into a relationship because all of these bad things could happen. <laughs> of course not. Um, and again, this is probably an extreme example, but I mean, these things can happen. And Eventually, she she had enough trust in herself and enough love in herself to be able to walk away from that relationship. But it had taken several, several years to walk away and several, you know, back and forth. Oh, I still love him. I'm going to go back. Okay, I'm going to leave, you know, back and forth for years. And so that that can definitely happen. I think what you said about that trust in herself and love in herself is so important. After years, 
of emotional abuse. Maybe you grew up in an, an abusive family and then now you're in this emotionally abusive relationship that trust in yourself. Well, can I make it on my own? Am I good enough for something else? Maybe I should settle for this. At least it's not worse than this kind of mentality can kind of creep in. Mm-hmm. And it's really, really hard and really complex to, to leave some of those relationships. Yeah. And, and especially you've invested so much time and so much, so much effort into the relationship, but where, where's that investment in yourself? Mm-hmm. And often the point of the emotional abuse that is used to keep somebody dependent on their partner, the point of it is that it chips away Mm. at your confidence in yourself. So the problem is part of the symptom. Mm -hmm. Or the symptom is part of the problem. You get my point. (laughs) (laughs) Going back to the example of, well, maybe they punched the wall next to me, but but they didn't hit me. After that, I think the cycle starts of, well, if you hadn't accused me of going out all night with my friends, then I wouldn't have had to hit the wall. Mm-hmm. So the gaslighting is really, I think it makes it more concrete then of this is my fault somehow. Mm-hmm. And you see clients or victims who are, you know, working with the therapist through these relationship issues that are always hypervigilant or always on eggshells. Like if I just act right, maybe they won't punch the wall next time. And that can be really exhausting. And you lose part of yourself too, when you're constantly like that, because you're acting like somebody that you're, that you're not, or you could be acting that way. And you may not even realize you're doing that. You go into safety mode, right? mm-hmm. survival mode. Right. And part of that is very likely going to be chameleoning. Trying to keep the home or the relationship as positive as possible. I'm not going to bring up any of my concerns. I'm just going to, I'm going to cook their favorite meal. I'm going to, we're going to have a great day. And it's just, there's that exhaustion. You are putting in all of the work to try to keep the peace. Thanks for listening. We'll be right back. Everyone needs support. And sometimes something as simple as a letter can make a difference. UFCWC's Letters of Care campaign is a unique way for Gators to connect and receive compassion, support, and understanding from a fellow Gator. Once you submit your request for a letter, it will be anonymously sent to one of the UFCWC's aware ambassadors who will write you back a letter of care within five to seven business days. It's your own personal aware care bear. Request your letters at counseling.ufl.edu forward slash letters. So can this, can, you know, emotional abuse and physical abuse in a relationship, in your experience, can it be resolved with counseling? Ooh, you asked the tough questions. <laughs> <laughs> can I phone a friend? No, so, <laughs> I will be very clear. I am an individual therapist and not a couples counselor. But I have seen counseling be helpful for my clients' relationships. But I think there needs to be buy-in and commitment from both partners. And of course, we're talking about 
monogamous relationships, not polyamorous, that would be. Mm -hmm. um, so I want to make this clear that can happen in polyamorous relationships as sure. well, all relationships, right? Mm -hmm. So when I say partner, um, it could be anybody. It could mm -hmm. also be family member. And so it can be helpful, but right, you need buy-in and commitment from both. And you also need someone who's willing to take responsibility for their behavior. Right. And so if you're not seeing that, because I, I think often what we can see is that in order to keep someone in the relationship, the abusive partner be like, yes, I, I will go to counseling where we're, we're going to fix this. I will be a different person. I will be better. I will treat you better. But really, over time, you start to see like, okay, this is, they're not actually taking responsibility. They're not changing things. That was just another form of manipulation to keep me in the relationship. And so it can be helpful, but you need both people to actually want to work on those things mm -hmm. from, for themselves too. Mm -hmm. A genuine caring for that. Yeah, 100%. Uh, that's exactly my line of thought in it too, is if you're an individual counseling, but your partner is not willing to attend or take that responsibility, you're working with a glass ceiling, right? Like you can only do so much and you're already exerting all of that energy to maintain the healthy, happy, positive days and walking on those eggshells. So you really need both partners that are willing and taking ownership for their actions. So what brought you guys to this field? I'm so curious. Uh, I can give you my honest answer is uh, I was a stay-at-home mom and needed to get away from my three-year-old. And so I applied <laughs> for a victim advocacy job. And I... <laughs> I love uh, that answer. Out of the pot and into the fire, my friends. Uh, well, you know, I can rationalize and learn cycles of abuse and things like that. And I honestly, I fell in love with victim advocacy and dating domestic violence and sexual assault work and working with survivors and just the resiliency um, and the, the love that I have seeing someone who is so vulnerable to be empowered and grow and just really flourish um, is what brought me here. It's a gift to, to witness that, mm, that transformation yeah. in people. For sure. What about you, Debbie? Yes. And, and to know that people are innately resilient and strong and able to overcome things that, are so huge. And so I, I actually came into this field as a survivor. Uh, I was sexually assaulted in high school, but had been dating someone who was pretty emotionally abusive um, and would do a lot of the things that we would talk about or have talked about in, in during this segment, uh, including um, self-injury. So he would hurt himself and, and blame me for it. So he would, I would get phone calls from the hospital after he had attempted to kill himself. And, um, and when I told him that I had been sexually assaulted, um, by an acquaintance, he just 
blew up on me, started calling me names, horrible things that I was a slut, that I cheated on him, that, um, and the end result of both the assault and the emotional abuse, because he was the first person I had told, was that I completely shut down. And as a six, I, I, to be honest, I don't even remember how old I was because I developed dissociative identity disorder mm. as a result. And so throughout high school, met with a therapist every week. Like once I realized that I was missing like a year's worth of memories, I started working with a therapist and we met every week and she saved my life and made it possible for me to reintegrate and go to college and be a functional person. And that's really how I started to develop my love for humans <laughs> and our ability to overcome things. Mm -hmm. um, and, and also the awareness that life is hard. And I'm not going to lie, I've wanted to curse the last 10 minutes <laughs> quite a lot. I'm trying to watch my language, but we'll just say life is hard. There are hard right. things that happen right. and, and we are also very strong. That's an incredible story. Thank you for sharing that. As you're describing it, I, I have this image of a phoenix rising from the ashes. Oh, that warms my heart. Thank you for saying that. Mm -hmm. I, I don't think I felt very Phoenixy at the time, but I will take it. <laughs> yes, yes, definitely, definitely. And you know, you bring up a good point of you know where you had to go to the hospital because your partner had hurt himself or had attempted to kill himself, and I think that is a big part of emotional abuse too. You know, if, if you leave me, I'm going to kill myself mm -hmm. and then it'll be all on you. And then mm -hmm. you'll have to live with that. Yes. And yes, so I've, I've seen a lot of people stay in relationships because they're afraid of that. Mm -hmm. They're afraid that that person will, will follow through because they've seen them act impulsively in other ways. Yes, exactly. And, and this also doesn't mean like them using suicide as a threat doesn't mean they're not legitimately suicidal. It just mm -hmm. means that that is also a form of abuse and really you need to pull somebody else in, mm -hmm. right? That would be a situation where calling the Alachua County Crisis Center or even sometimes, you know, and, I, and this can be very hard, but if that person has a supportive family or a supportive friend, you might need to break their trust and bring somebody else in. Because if, even though somebody might legitimately be suicidal, they are still using that as a form of control and you still need to protect yourself. Mm -hmm. And so you can do that and protect them at the same time by bringing in other resources. Right, right, for sure. Yeah. I think it's so important to, to know your options and to, to be able to say, okay, this is a form of control that they're trying to use over me. What options do I have right now? And Debbie, I think you bring up a great point of, let me call the crisis center to kind of talk through what I'm experiencing and get their feedback on, do I need to make another phone call for this person, my partner to be safe or for me to stay safe? 
Yes, absolutely. And it, you know, it's interesting as we're talking about this, I'm remembering some things that when I had been in that relationship, I called a crisis line. And that was my very first experience with that. And then many years later, for over a decade, I was a crisis counselor at the Elagic County Crisis Center. <laughs> so, full circle sometimes, yeah, but, that's right. but it, it really, it helped significantly to be able to have a confidential source, especially at a time when I had no idea how to help this person, but I knew I was not able to keep trying to be <sighs> silent. I think so often that emotional abuse and that power and control silences people silences the person in the relationship. And it's so great that you found your voice, Debbie, and that you were able to make the call. And so I think part of my role is that I love trying to help clients see that they also still have a voice. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's power in that. Power in their voice, power in their story. Yeah, and I think to that point, the person that's coming to you or coming here to the CWC or talking with me or victim services or whoever it might be is an expert in their relationship. And so honoring their story and really just recognizing that they're not ready to leave or they're not ready to stay or whatever choice they make is best for them in that moment. I could not agree with you more. They know. They know whether it's safe for them to leave. They know whether it isn't, how their partner might escalate. It is very dangerous sometimes, right? That's when it can be the most dangerous is when somebody is planning on leaving the relationship. And I think that's when having a therapist, a victim advocate, somebody who can help you plan how to leave if that is what you are wanting to do and ready for, can be incredibly helpful. Yeah. And I'd imagine that part of that counseling relationship too would be the counselor helping the client build that trust in themselves again. Yeah, sure. critical. Well, we're just about out of time, guys, but I have got to say this has been one of the best conversations I've ever had. Thank you so very much. I just love the passion that you both bring to your roles and to this topic. Thank you for inviting us. Yeah, it's been an honor to get to be here with you all today. Thanks. Thanks for listening. You can find CWC Talks on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever podcasts are found. Please leave us a rating and review us. Email us at cwc-talks at ufl.edu with your feedback and suggestions for future episodes. Show notes, resources, and more can be found at counseling.ufl.edu slash cwctalks.